I grew up watching her. That's the reason why I play tennis. You've touched our hearts and minds to use our voices to dream big. One of the greatest champions that our country has ever produced in any sport to one of the most important players that any sport has ever had. There's a reason why she's the GOAT, because she's the greatest of all time. And guess what? You're just beginning! From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making. I'm Brandon Pope. Today, Making Serena. Serena Williams has won 23 Grand Slam titles, more than any other tennis player in the Open era. She holds a joint record of 186 consecutive weeks at number one. But more than the stats, Serena Williams has become a cultural icon that's bigger than the game. Very few players ever have an impact beyond their sport. Serena and her sister Venus, as much as anyone that I can think of in any sport, walked in a door that might not have otherwise existed. They built the door. From Compton, California to GOAT status, what were the making years that defined Serena Williams as one of the greatest athletes of all time? I went on the courts with just a ball and a racket and a hope, and and that's all I had. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making. I'm Brandon Pope. Today, Serena Williams recently wrapped her tennis career at the U.S. Open, marking the end of an era for one of the most indomitable forces the sport has ever seen. In the wake of her evolution away from tennis, we're sitting down with three formative figures that witnessed her journey. With us is Rick Macy, renowned American tennis coach of the Rick Macy Tennis Academy in Florida. He coached Serena and Venus in the 90s before they went pro and is depicted in the Oscar-nominated biopic King Richard. Rick, thanks for being here. No, glad to be here. It'll be a lot of fun. So I'm going to start with a little warm-up question for you. Give us your favorite story from Serena's childhood. Well, I have a lot of them, of her and VW, but uh, to make it short and quick, the first time uh, we did fitness, we have a big sand pit, and there was like 40 kids in there. And the first time she got in there, and it was her turn to tag someone, she literally tagged the person with a closed fist. And I said, whoa, 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 Meek. I never, I never called her Serena. I called her Meek. I said, you got to play with an open hand. You know, VW would have an open hand. And so that just showed you how competitive she was, maybe a little over the top. But as a coach, I, I kind of liked that at the time. Oh, man. She was so self-assured, so confident. So confident. That's really good. Really good. Like no that. other. Really cool to hear. Thank you, Rick. Also with us is Serena's sister, Isha Price. Isha has produced several films celebrating the Williams sisters, including King Richard. Serena once described her as the caretaker of the five sisters, and she has been with Serena from day one. Isha, great to have you on the show. Great to be here. Thanks so much, Brandon. Of course, of course. Now, Isha, there was a moment at the last U.S. Open when Serena was saying her goodbyes, and she was shouting out, all her loved ones, the whole family, including you. Can you tell us what was going through your head during that moment? It was mixed emotions, you know. It was like the end of something. Like, 
we're all going to miss her on the court, but there's a happiness and a joy there too. When you know when you're excited about what she's embarking upon for the future. So definitely mixed. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here. And last but certainly not least, we have former world number six player, Olympian, and now broadcaster, Chanda Rubin, who is a friend of Serena's. She played her at her peak and has covered her extensive career. Chanda, we're happy to have you here. Uh, It's a pleasure. Really great to be joining you all and, and having this conversation. Absolutely. Now, Chanda, can you tell us about the first time you played Serena? What were you feeling before and during that game? Well, I do remember the first time. You tend to remember having to go up <laughs> against, um, you know, one of the all-time greats. And I remember, um, you know, when I saw that she was my next round, feeling unsure a little bit, but also excited because I think that the true mark for any player is to test yourself against, you know, the, the number ones, to test yourself against the great players and to see where your game matches up. But it was also her mentality and her approach. And that's what I remember feeling more than anything. It was just smothering every single point. And, you know, even winning points and winning games, it was tough for me to feel like I was really fully in the match. It felt like I was getting blown off the court. Ooh, the intensity, the fire, the passion. I just love hearing how it was was really always there. Uh, So now let's rewind to Compton, California. Serena's story begins before she was born when her father, Richard Williams, had a dream. What did you know about tennis? Was it a sport you knew much about? No. You literally didn't know anything about the sport? No. So how did you discover it? Watching television in Compton, and the TV we had didn't have a remote control. A guy called Bud Collins gave a girl named Virginia Rizik a check. I don't remember how much the check was now. But I thought, that's a hell of a lot of money for four days. I went to my wife and told her, we're going to have two kids, and and become rich, and they're going to be tennis players. And she said, oh, no. But we did. We had two kids, and I wrote an 85-page plan for Venus. I wrote a plan for Serena on what I wish to do, how it would be done. And his plan took off. Richard says Serena first picked up a racket when she was three years old. Serena says it was as early as 18 months. He coached the girls hard. Good racket speed. Good racket speed. Speed that racket head up. If you're down with your feet flat like a 97-year-old person, you'll never be a tennis player. <laughs> How do you feel the way you're hitting the ball right now? Good, Daddy. How about your feet? Your feet moving around? No, Daddy. How about you? Yes, sir. Very good. And he was convinced they were the next greats. His instincts would prove right, of course. But in these early days, his confident attitude made them notorious. The Williams sisters are not well-liked by their competitors. He sent tape after tape to the greatest coaches around the country and finally caught the attention of Rick Macy. I think athletic ability has a lot to do with the game. Macy flew to Compton and he was sold. He moved the whole Williams family to Boca Raton, Florida. Macy rented the family a house and gave them everything they needed. Health insurance, a dog, a new Aerostar van, even annual passes to Disney World. And while the sisters both trained intensely, Venus outshined. From all over the planet they have come to get a look at Venus. But little Serena was there too, taking stock. She trained, took note of Venus's faulty strokes, and made plans of her own. If you were a tennis player, who would you want to be like? Well, I like other people to be like me. <laughs> That's a good answer. 
Love hearing that footage there. Uh, so Isha, take us back to those early days of Venus and Serena's childhood. You, you're all piling in this van, uh, five kids. Richard's taking them to school, tennis practice. What were those journeys like? Um, you know, it was just, it was life. It was, you know, oftentimes it would be my mom. She would take us to school, drop us off, get picked up and come home from school, go to the tennis court. He would let us go to the, he called it the sand pile, which is like the playground. And so, you know, obviously you get to an age where you don't want to go to the sand pile anymore, but we always had to go um, because Venus and Serena enjoyed that. And so um, that was pretty much a day in the life of, of, of us. What was it like growing up in Compton, California back then? It, it's hard for me to kind of describe to people because everybody grew up somewhere. You know, I didn't really think of Compton as this really terrible place. You know, it was home. There were things about it that, you know, were less than ideal. I remember we had graffiti on our house. And I remember asking my mom, I'm like, man, like, why can't we just paint? Like, we cleaned up the backyard. We did all the things. And daddy never painted the front of the house. And I could not understand when I was older. Finally, you know, I asked him directly and he said, you know, this will help you to be strong. You know, it doesn't matter what people say about you, what they say about your house, what they say about like where you grew up. You should be proud of where you come from, no matter where that is, because where you come from is really within you. You know, so it was like that growing up. It was a lesson behind everything. Our house was very um, loving and we had a ton of fun and even though to the outside world, it was obviously very strange. Um, there were gang members and stuff that used to live across the street. They would, you know, they sold drugs. It just was what it was. It was Compton. And um, we knew them all by name, um, but we knew that we wanted something more. Obviously, we liked the Cosbys. We liked the shows that were on television. We wanted um, to aspire to more and different and and not be there. And... Uh, I remember when we finally left, we all kind of made this pact to not have to go back. Like if we went back, it would be on our own terms. And that's what we've been able to do. Now, Rick, how did the Williams convince you to come out to Compton in the first place? I actually got a phone call and uh, it was from Richard. You know, he told me I have two daughters, Venus and Serena. They're really good. And, you know, you want to come to Compton for whatever reason. And obviously, looking back, I'm probably the only guy in the world saying their best vacation ever is Compton, California, that I just decided to go out and take a look. I never did it before, and I haven't done it since. I went out there, and uh, that night, met at the hotel room. Uh, Venus, Serena, Orsine, and Richard come to the hotel room. Venus on one leg, Serena on the other. And then Richard, he pulls out a piece of paper. And he started grilling me. I thought I was in a deposition. So then the next day he goes, we're going to pick you up uh, at uh, seven o'clock and we're going to East Compton Hills Country Club. So at seven o'clock, they picked me up in that bus. Okay, not a van. I get in the passenger side. Listen to this. I get harpooned in the buttock by a spring. I look in the back. There's like garbage, ball hoppers, all kinds of dirty laundry. And Meek and Venus are back there all scrunched up. So about 15 minutes into the ride, I'm looking around and I'm going, this is a strange place for a country club. We pull up to a park. There's guys playing basketball, about 20 guys. People are passed out, smoking, drinking, and they 
see Richard, they go, hey, King Richard. They called this guy King Richard in 91. So we go across the basketball court. It parts like the Red Sea. It was like they were celebrities, you know, like it was just the craziest thing. We go onto the court. So then we started drilling. Now here's VW and, and Meek, arms, legs, hair flying everywhere. Beads are coming off their head. And I'm going, what in God's name am I doing in Compton, California? It was like out of control. <laughs> then I said, let's play competitive points. So once we started playing competitive points, the whole landscape changed. The movement was just crazy. They started popping the popcorn, extra butter. The preparation got better. But the burning desire of both girls to get to the ball, they ran so hard, Brandon, their nose was almost on the ground. I never saw anything like it. And I just saw something I never saw on the inside. And I went to Richard. I said, Richard, come here. And it was more about VW at the time. I said, you got the next female Michael Jordan on your hand. And he puts his arm around me. And he goes, no, brother, man, I got the next two. Man, that hustle, that effort, that drive. I love hearing stories like that. Chanda, you know, a famous part of this beginning stage of Serena's career is that Richard Williams, he was really protective of his girls. He didn't let them participate in juniors or go pro until late in the game. What do you make of that strategic move? Did that affect their skill level or did that set them back at all? You know, I think... You know, in hindsight, it was uh, an incredibly smart move. And because I came up in the junior system, it was naturally expected that Venus and Serena should be playing junior tournaments. Who are they to not go through the system that every all-time great went through uh, to a certain degree? Um, but in, in hindsight, it was it was a good move because I think it, it number one, has given us the longevity that we've seen uh, in Venus and Serena Um, I think it also allowed them to be out there as more of a team. You know, when you're going through juniors and you're competing in some of the same tournaments or in the same circuit, you know, it's a different type of competitiveness that comes out. And I think, you know, all of the positive things that we would eventually see in Venus and Serena, a lot of it was because of that base they had. You know, they were focused on the long game. They were focused on developing complete games for a professional player not necessarily a junior player. And so I think all of those things contributed, um, you know, to the successes that we saw. It worked out pretty well, right? Exactly. Now, Rick, there are so many players and coaches throughout the years that they've said Venus is good, but the younger one has the drive. What is it that you saw in Serena? Did she have an it factor? Both the girls have it, you know, and I mean, I think Venus could have been maybe even better. I I know that sounds crazy, but that's a different discussion. But the one thing about Serena, the more intense it got, the more competitive, she went deeper. And that separates great from good. One thing I did see at a young age, she kind of knew where you were going to hit the ball before you did. And that was an eight. And it looked like she had all the time in the world. But the the competitiveness, even in practice, when she was playing guys, she just felt she never lost. She ran out of time. This is the way she thought. But her confidence and belief, it's one thing to hope to win. She expected to win. More making in a minute.
Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Serena was just 14 years old when she made her professional debut at the Bell Challenge in Quebec. She lost in less than an hour. Over the next few years, both Williams sisters faced the best players in the world. By July 1999, Venus was ranked fourth in the world. Serena was 11th, but neither had clinched a Grand Slam title. And at the U.S. Open that year, all bets were on Venus to win the first. But those bets were wrong. Venus lost to Martina Hingis. But then, Martina Hingis lost to Serena. Ladies and gentlemen, the 1999 U.S. Open Wimbledon Singles Champion, Serena Williams. At only age 17, Serena Williams became the first black woman to win a Grand Slam event since Althea Gibson in 1956. The Williams sisters were on top of the tennis world. Then, in 2001, it felt as if the tennis world was pushing back. Still some booze, but uh, perhaps not as many as expected. But it has not been a pleasurable experience being at this court this afternoon. At the Indian Wells Open, when Venus withdrew ahead of her semifinal match against Serena, allowing Serena to walk into the final, the crowd called foul. Richard and both sisters were accused of match-fixing. Serena rallied to win the championship, but that did not stop the booze. Well, I think that's that's pretty bad. You know, she's got through so well to win this match, got herself together, and, uh, well, she knows her family supports her. Richard Williams says he was attacked with racial slurs. The sisters vowed to never return. But after that notorious incident, Serena goes on a tear. What a great point to end it. And baby sis has finally won the Italian Open, then the French, then Wimbledon. Then the U.S. and Australian Opens. The seventh player in tennis history to win three consecutive Grand Slam titles. Serena Williams. She is the 2002 U.S. Open champion and remains the number one player in the world. Serena was 21 years old and she held all four major titles, not in the same calendar year. They dubbed it the Serena Slam. And to win it, she had to beat her sister in all four finals. You know, wish I could have been the winner today, but of course you have a great champion, Serena, and now she's won, you know, all, all four Grand Slams, which is something I would love to do one day. So, yeah, just trying to be just like her and... Now, she's not just another skilled kid with a top rank. She's a force that's changing the game. She's out of her sister's shadow, and she's just getting started. So we just covered a wide portion of Serena's career, 
But Isha, I'd like to ask you about uh, some of their first teenage tournaments. Now, during this period of time, you were with Serena in the stands watching Venus take home trophies. What was going through Serena's head during this time? Um, so one of the things that happened back in the day when she played that first tournament in Quebec, she decided that she wasn't ready, um, to be pro. And so she went on the road and she, she flew to where Venus was. (laughs) Funny story. And Venus was like, well, what happened? And she was like, um, I'm not ready to be pro. I'm going to be your hitting partner. And that's what's getting ready to go down because clearly I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and and that's what she did for a long time and just did the grind and, and did everything necessary. Now, Chanda, you played Serena Williams at Wimbledon in 2002. She beat you 6-3, 6-3. Can you tell us a little bit about what Serena brought to the court at that tournament and what made her such a formidable opponent? I think what made Serena so tough, especially on grass at Wimbledon, was the complete game that she had. You know, and you think about you think about playing on grass and, and most times, you know, we think, oh, players have to be aggressive. They've got to come in. They've got to be serving and volleying, at least at that time. Well, Serena, she didn't have to play a certain way. She just played her game. She had the serve. You know, she could return and really make you feel her presence you know, she had good height, but she was also quick and was a good mover and, you know, an economical mover. And so you didn't really feel like you had any space to hit into. And that was the feeling for me um, being on the other side of the court against her. And, you know, we talk so much about her serve being one of the greatest serves, you know, in the history of the women's game, you know, if not the greatest. And it was so good because she could hit to every single spot in the service box. She could hit out wide. She could hit up the tee. She could go into the body. Those are kind of the primary three. But she could do it with the same look, with the same toss. So you couldn't read it. And so it was it was the sum total of her game and what she brought to the court. So even if you were a good returner like I was, how do you how do you make inroads into that kind of service game? Well, I've never heard that analyzed like that before uh, in terms of like how she was just kind of tough to read if you're playing her. That makes it a really tough match for sure. Rick, can you dissect for me? how Serena dominated all these major tournaments in 2002 and 2003? Well, you know, it's, it's a, it's a total package that you got, you know, she could play through you. And as she got more confident, she would just take the ball short. She could literally play through you and other players on the tour knew that even if she was the underdog when she was little, but her firepower to take the ball early, hold serve, take advantage of your second serve, the angles that she could hit. And people don't talk about this enough. Off both wings with quality. Once she opened up the court like the Red Sea, she could just take the next one early. And that's what this is all about, opening up the court. And people just see the power, the raw power of Serena. She's very smart too. Now, Isha, there was a time where Venus and Serena had to play each other. Um, What was it like for you and the family and Richard, especially in those finals of a major tournament, to to see your sisters go at it. It was the worst feeling and the best feeling. <laughs> you know, um, you know it, it was it was really tough. Like, you know, I remember the first time it happened, and we were like, okay, so 
how do we do this? And we were like, we're just going to go out. And it was like, we'll just clap for the good points, you know? Because like, what else do you do? You know what I mean? You, you, you try to applaud the good points, but you, you're feeling some kind of way. And then it got to the point where we just, it was too hard. So we wouldn't go. And the last time this happened was 2017. <laughs> and I was the only one there. I was in, it was in Australia. It was funny because by this time, I guess they knew. And the hotel <laughs> said, we, we have a little room for you. So you can go and you can sit in there and you, if you want. And you can watch there if you're not going to go on site. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going on site. So I had this whole room essentially to myself. And it's the, the same feeling. You feel such a joy because you're like, okay, this is what we wanted, right? Like we wanted them to both get there, to get to those finals, to be able to, to compete against one another. Like that's what we wanted. But it's just so tough because you want it for both of them so badly. And you know that in the end, there's only going to be one winner. But then you definitely feel like we've already won. It, but it, it was very, very challenging, especially for my mom and my dad. It was weird because sometimes we would be the only people in, in the player area, you know. So it, it was sometimes a little weird, um, but also challenging, but also joyous. Again, bittersweet. But Brandon, <laughs> if I can interject real quick, Ish had to watch this 31 times. That's how many times they played. And when it's all said and done, and Ish knows this, uh, the Williams family won, even though there was an official winner, they, they won, you know, and that's, that's all the takeaway. Cause there are two peas in a pod and sisters like no other on the court competitive. But once it was over and you know, they were skipping and holding hands at age nine and they're still doing it at age 40. So I do want to rewind a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about what happened at Indian Wells. Isha, what was the family feeling coming off that tournament? incredibly hurt you know this was a considered our like home tournament um and we felt that the tournament itself didn't do a better job of protecting because there are steps that have to be taken if something like this happens and i think for a long time you know something like that affects you because obviously we don't look like everyone else. Serena didn't look like everyone else and, and crying in her towel in between changeovers, something that we just didn't do. She just didn't do. And one of the things I remember the most is what she said, <laughs> you know, after like I was crying, that doesn't mean much because I cry all the time. Everybody will tell you, my sisters will tell you it's terrible. I am the cry baby in my family. But, um, after when she was doing the on-court interview, she said something to the effect of, and, and even those of you who are booing, thank you too. <laughs> you know, because like at some point you have to say, you know, she was like, I appreciate everybody who's out here, you know, like I, and in, in a way I forgive you for what you're doing, but it was hard for a long time to forgive that moment. But we made the decision as a family after that, that we would always have some presence because we definitely felt after that it was us against the world. I think we got lulled into a false sense of security, like everybody loves us. It's great. You know, like everything is great. And then 
it became like a reality check. The next decade sees a rocky road for Serena. Soon after her first Serena slam, her oldest sister, Yatende Price, is killed in Compton, an innocent bystander in an attack of gang violence. Serena continued to rack up Grand Slam titles, but she's distracted. Serena Williams is hospitalized in Los Angeles after having emergency treatment for a blood clot in her lungs. Every few years, she's hit with a knee injury, a tendon tear, and even a pulmonary embolism that takes her out of the game. Her year-end rank in 2006 dropped to 95, her lowest since 1997. Then, in 2012, following a dramatic loss in the first round of the French Open, she reached out to French coach Patrick Moritoglu. Something was wrong, really, clearly. I watched the match, that's it. She was struggling to go back to winning a Grand Slam and it was affecting her. Even the way she was thinking, she was not thinking like Serena. They focused on her serve, and then she was back. Serena is the Wimbledon champion. She won Wimbledon. A year later, the U.S. Open. She was 31, the oldest player ever ranked number one. And then a few years later, she completed her second Serena Slam. I've grown tremendously as a tennis player and even more importantly as a human being. And with that comeback, she solidified her status as an all-time great. Now, Chanda, I'm going to start with you here. Serena's ranking drops down to 95th. Can you kind of break down for me how she rebounded from all those serious injuries, uh, especially as an athlete, mentally and physically? What does it take? You know, I think that's one of the toughest parts of, of being an athlete and having, you know, a long career, having the longevity. And, you know, maybe the the casual fan doesn't think about because when they see players winning, you know, they're they look healthy. They, they seem like everything is, is, you know, firing. And it's almost like it was it was meant to be in that moment. But there are a lot of tough times that go into getting onto court and being in that position to win. And I think for Serena, it was dealing with with all of those injuries and, you know, trying at a certain point to remotivate herself And so for me, what was most impressive about Serena is the way she did recommit after, you know, losing first round of the French Open in 2012. I think that was a real catalyst for her. You know, there's a moment for for every player at a certain point where you go, okay, I'm not supposed to lose that match. And even if I lose that match, I'm not supposed to lose that match that way. And I have to change. I have to, you know, do something completely different. So when she came right back and won at Wimbledon after losing first round of the French Open, you kind of knew Serena's back. Rick, can you analyze for me how Serena's game changed over the years, specifically during the late 2000s? What did she change in that post-2012 run? Well, I don't know if she changed a lot, but at the end of the day, through all the injuries and everything that happened, you don't lose the ability. You don't lose the Compton Street fight. You don't lose the firepower. You don't lose the serve. She never lost anything. Whether you're a basketball player, any sport, injuries, that changes the landscape. And like Chanda said, you know, you you don't have the confidence because you're not playing all the time. But once she won Wimbledon, it just showed her again. She wasn't that far gone. The number 90, whatever, is irrelevant. She never lost anything. It's just that the injuries set her back. And then once she got on a mission and she got the confidence back, okay, 
she just took off and, and never looked back. Isha, what were your thoughts on this period for Serena? And, and you know, what was the family's perspectives? It was just tough to, to watch um, and to see her go through that. Um, you know, it, it does get to a point where you're like, your life is way more important than this, than this game, you know. And the pulmonary embolisms were really hard for us because she almost lost her life. And so then it becomes like, okay, everything being in perspective, you know, you hone in on what's more important, you know, and that's what we did, you know, just kind of, it did take her away from the game. And, and there was a reevaluation that she had to do in terms of like, what do you want to do? How do you want to handle this? And it was scary, you know, for us, because we were like, you, you don't have to do anything else in this sport. Like, you know, you can walk away now. It's great. It's fine. Um, but that's not what she wanted to do. She wanted to do it on her terms. We had gone to Africa. Um, and, you know, you go to Africa and it definitely changes you. She made this decision and she said, you know, it doesn't matter because of where I come from and what I know exists inside me. You know, she was like, we made it to the diaspora across this triangular trade, like, you know, all, some people didn't make it, but like our ancestors made it because look, I'm here. So I'm going to do the best I can with what I got. Well, those were what we call the making years for Serena Williams. But before we go, I do want to talk about her as a cultural figure and her larger legacy. A lot of her fans say she's not just great because of her records, but because of what she's done for the game of tennis. So, Isha, I'm going to start with you. I know, tough question, but what do you think people mean by that when they say that Serena Williams changed the game? Um, that is a tough question. I, I, you know, I don't. I definitely think that if I had to to choose one thing, I would say it was just her lion-like desire to never lose. It wasn't really for her. It wasn't about winning. I mean, she loved to win. Don't get me wrong. But it was literally she just hated losing. She hated losing more than than loving winning. But, yeah, tough question for me. (laughs) Understandable. Chanda, how about you? What is Serena Williams' tennis legacy? I think for me... You know, it's almost full circle. I mean, you think about what draws us to players, whether it's how dynamic they are, whether it's how they play the game, whether we enjoy just watching them play and compete. And Serena, as a young champion, really brought a lot of people into the sport, drew a lot of people in. And also part of her legacy um, is, is also creating change in the sport, changes in the game the power tennis that she brought, you know, to the forefront along with Venus. The power tennis was what players had to measure up against and measure their games against. And so, you know, she literally made other players better. So that is a huge part of her legacy. I think another part was just how she pushed the envelope on and off the court. And and you talk about on the court with her tennis, but also the fashion part and, and the outfits and, you know, just being bold and being herself and showing a bit of her personality um, just in how she walked out onto court. Um, that's part of her legacy. I mean, we have so many pictures of her in these iconic outfits and, you know, people's, you know, real 
visceral response in, in so many cases, um, you know, was a special thing. It, it drew you in to her tennis in an entirely different way. And then we look now at how she has played, you know, well into her 40s. That was unheard of. And to still be playing the type of tennis, the, the high level tennis, playing, vying for Grand Slam titles after a mom, still playing in four major finals. I mean, it's incredible. So that's a whole different part of her legacy. So for me, it's all of these different factors and it, it, it's all part of this one person. And we get to watch her kind of post-tennis um, you know, career, see what she does in, in the business world, see what she continues to create and how she continues to influence and build her legacy. So I think it's not over yet. All right, Rick, you're not off the hook. <laughs> no, no, listen, you know, before I elaborate on that, um, we got to go back down memory lane. You know, when the yeah. kids were little, and I think anybody listening to this, every single night when they left the court, they would say, Rick, thank you very much. Every night. And I don't, I don't see that a lot these days. And every day they brought their books to the court. And when it rained, Richard told them to go up to my office and study. These are the life lessons that Richard and Orsine, um, you know, instilled in the kids. But her legacy, you know, she showed, you know, women's tennis or just women's athletic. You can really show your emotions on the court and that rage and the fist pump and bringing the knee up. And she just carried herself different. But she said that's okay to be like that. And maybe some people didn't like it, but that's just how she was wired. And then, then how she carried herself and brought in so many people, not just from the African-American community, but look where they came from, Compton. She wasn't in the front row, the back row. She wasn't even in the building, okay? You know, I can do it, you can do it. That has nothing to do with tennis. I mean, it's just a story you can't make up. And, you know, she's out in front going down as the greatest of all time, not just tennis player. I think one of the greatest athletes of all time. But no, at the end of the day, her ripple effect is just catastrophic. But I think her best act is yet to come. I think she has a platform and a brand like no other, you know, and I think that we're going to see the best of Serena yet to come if that's possible. This has been Making Serena. Special thanks to Rick Macy, Chanda Rubin, and Isha Price. And thank you all for listening. Next week on Making. I've dreamed of it, though. I always dreamed of it, and I want to do it so bad. We signed it at night. We didn't let it leave the office. Really? The three in the morning. The story of Robin Rihanna Fenty, including exclusive, never-before-heard audio. Making Serena was produced by Hina Trivastava and Justin Bull. I'm your host, Brandon Pope. Our executive producer is Kevin Dawson. A special thanks going out to Cecil Harris and Gerald Marzarotti for help on the show. More episodes are on the way. Be sure to press the subscribe button and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.